0: Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we help you discover innovative startups in the outdoor sport industry. Join us as we tell the story of brands who are paving the way for the future of outdoor sports. And here's your host,
1: Josh Salvo. Hey, Ready Eddy Podcast listeners. Do you love skiing, snowboarding, climbing, hiking, camping, surfing, kayaking, or mountain biking? Did you know that there are thousands of new outdoor sports startups launching each year with incredible stories and products that are revolutionizing their sports? At Ready Yeti, we are a community of outdoor sport enthusiasts that love discovering new brands and supporting the ones that make innovative, quality products and that have a drive to give back. At readyeddie.com we give away products every two weeks from your soon-to-be favorite outdoor sports startups. Check out ReadyYeti.com and become a part of our daily growing outdoor sports community and be among the first to discover tomorrow's outdoor sport brands. Hello and welcome to the ReadyYeti podcast. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Tanner Rosenthal, the founder of Panda Poles. They make environmentally sustainable ski poles 100% out of bamboo. Tanner, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with me.
0: Yeah, thank you, Josh. Really appreciate you reaching out. And uh, yeah, stoked to uh, enlighten your listeners today.
1: Without a doubt. So to someone who's never heard of Panda Poles, how would you describe what it is that you guys do, what you offer that's different than any of the other uh, ski pole brands out there?
0: Cool well um you know panda poles is uh we manufacture bamboo ski poles in southeast Idaho, and uh there are a couple other bamboo ski pole companies out there, but I think what separates us primarily from the other bamboo ski pole manufacturers and other ski pole manufacturers in general would be our uh, zero drag powder baskets and our grips um, these are the zero drag powder baskets in particular is a product that hasn't really ever been on the market. Uh and the concept behind that is that we have a four inch um four inch basket which provides great float and powder, uh works works great in almost any condition. Um and uh and yeah because of the cone shape it won't snag in trees or rocks or, or anything of the sort. So uh that's that's probably the primary difference between uh our poles and any other poles on the market. Um now, the bamboo is is definitely unique. We aren't the only ones doing it right now, and you know, bamboo has been used for ski poles since the early 1920s, so it's not like we're the first ones doing that. but um, what we put into our poles, I think uh, might separate us as well uh, we We put a lot of positive intention, we put a lot of care into what we create. We aren't just cranking them out we're We're doing this in a in a way that honors our sport. Um, you know we're not in some factory in China making these things we're, we're 20 minutes from a ski hill we ski all the time uh, people can't work for panda poles unless they ski or snowboard 50 days a year and uh, you know we just try and maintain uh, as much positivity into what we do uh, as possible because um, you know, whether or not a, a person can see it there's, people can feel the difference between having a product that was made with love and one that wasn't
1: that's great that's great. So, you're originally from Idaho, correct?
0: Yeah, I grew up in Pocatello. Um, lived here until I graduated high school. Then moved down to Salt Lake City to go to University of Utah. Um, I did one semester. <laughs> and then uh, and then ended up skiing the second semester the whole time. Dropped out <laughs> of college. Uh, and... Uh, after a couple years was working up at Snowbird, working in a boot fitting shop and uh, that's that 's where uh, that 's where I was when I got the idea for panda poles
1: so walk us through exactly the story behind panda poles how it got started and to where it is now
0: cool man um, yeah it's uh, it 's definitely an interesting one um, so i had I had competed in moguls from age fifteen, and with moguls you 're you're generally using a shorter pair of ski poles because it allows you to make quicker turn transitions and longer poles just push you into the back seat, um, something that not a lot of people realize. Uh, So I had always had this concept in mind that I wanted to make recycled aluminum ski poles uh, and reformat the whole sizing paradigm behind ski poles. Um, Well, I couldn't really figure out how to make uh, aluminum, recycled aluminum poles. That was just beyond my scope of capability. I I didn't know where to get, where to even start with that one. Where to get the aluminum, who to get to make it into the rounds, and you know, I I just couldn't wrap my head around it. Um, but one night in the spring of 2008, I was uh, was at my house at the base of Little Cottonwood Canyon, um, having a really awesome evening watching the full moon come up over the mountains. And I had what what some could say is a shamanic vision. I uh, more or less had, <laughs> this might sound funny, but I, I had Spirit come down to me. And there were these these ski poles. Uh, I could see them clear as day. They were bamboo. They had these baskets that were cone-shaped and these big, long grips and awesome-looking hemp straps. I mean, they, they almost looked like samurai swords. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like Spirit handed this thing. To me and you know when I say handed I mean like this vision popped in my head and it was so profound that it just it stuck with me I couldn't I couldn't get it out of my head and the next day I went to Oakley White Allen who was uh working with me in the ski shop at Snowbird and I told him about this idea he's like dude I wanted to make bamboo ski poles a while ago with my buddy Rob DeMontney. uh he was living in Whistler at the time and uh he and his buddy had had taken a stab at it. They uh they didn't get very far, but it was it was enough of uh, a connection there that Oakley was like, "Yeah, dude, let's let's try to make this happen." And so I kind of started putting putting in the groundwork for it and uh figuring out how we could possibly do the manufacturing, where to get bamboo, where to get grips, all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> and I wasn't really getting getting too much farther than that uh and I was coming up a bunch gun- up against a bunch of stumbling blocks, and uh, then I met Johnny Anitzberger, who uh, his family was in manufacturing in Chicago for a long time. And Johnny and I ended up becoming roommates, and during that time, he helped me or helped us design the baskets. He got the drawings made up. He helped source the grips, and uh, and we were able to by fall, uh, let's see, of two thousand of 2009, had a prototype. Uh, we took that prototype up to Snowbird that year, and we tested it on the slopes. Uh, it was it worked pretty well, but it was really heavy baskets. Oh, I, I guess I shouldn't leave out. My my uncle and stepdad helped design the very first basket, but they did that out of, uh, they did nylon, which they used a lathe, and it created these really heavy baskets, whereas Johnny came in, and he helped us get liquid injection mold uh uh, design made up um so the first basket design that we tested were these ones for my stepdad and my uncle super heavy uh didn't really it wasn't really that exciting uh but we knew that it was it wasn't time to give up yet that if we could get some weight off of these things they'd work great so got these drawings made up uh felt like it was it was um a pretty solid design, and we decided to go for it with the molds. Put down the money on the molds, and by 2010, the fall of 2010, we had the molds in our hand, or had the the molded baskets in our hands. They were they were pretty light, uh, and we decided to to test them out for another couple months. And by that point, we were we were pretty satisfied, and uh, put together the website over a few months with my friend Lisa, and uh, launched that in January of. 2011.
1: That's such a cool story. (laughs) That's great. I mean,
0: so what's, how much does a panda pole weigh
1: compared to a typical aluminum set?
0: Um, You know, it always kind of depends on the piece of bamboo that's being used uh, because it is a Natural product you, there is some differentiation between one piece of bamboo and another right. um, but we've we've come up with a sizing system uh, based off of how much the pole weighs we cut it to a, a certain length um, so you know we're not going to have our heaviest bamboo go out for uh, a really long set because then it's going to be even that much heavier so we we've tried to do what we can to make a consistent model or make create consistency with our weight. But there's always going to be a 20, 30, 40 gram difference uh, between our lightest poles and our heaviest poles. Um, now, with that being said, relative to your average um, aluminum ski pole, ours are maybe maybe slightly heavier, maybe slightly lighter. I haven't really looked at the grams, uh, but a lot of people who grab a pair of Panda poles are really surprised by how, li- how light they are. Um, and the heaviest part about them would actually be the baskets, which uh, which aren't even necessarily that much heavier, but they they are heavier than your average basket because they're they're made for primarily powder, and the the shape of them uh, adds a little bit of weight. But um, Drew Tabkey, who is one of our athletes, he's actually on our high council. Uh, he he won the Freeride World Tour with panda poles in 2013. He was the overall champion, and one of the points he made to us that year was that he was he was really blown away by how the poles gave him balance, in particular when he was in the air. So, even though the baskets did weigh a little more. He found that it created somewhat of like a, a pendulum effect, where he he had something to balance against. It wasn't just like he was skiing with a pair of TV antennas in his hands. He had something substantial. He he could feel he could feel this this power in his hands um, instead of just having some lifeless piece of aluminum dragging around. So, yeah, they weigh a little bit more, but. Um, You know, that's not. I don't think that's the point of ski poles, is to have the lightest ones possible. You know, if you if you compete in moguls, it's really awesome to have super light, super fast ski poles because you're flicking your wrists every two, you know, every half second you're flicking your wrist. You need that. But for anybody else, like, it's almost a a little bit of a setback to have a really light pair of poles. I think that, uh, you know, ski poles more than more than giving us something to push off of, which is you know really important. I think that they are almost like a, a balancing stick in our hands. And we've kind of gotten away from that. Uh, you know, if you look at how most people ski nowadays, especially with parabolics, they're, they're not actually pole planting and, like, moving their hands around much. We pretty much just drag our poles with us, uh, <laughs> maybe making a pole plant here and there. Right. But, um, but then if you try to ski without poles, you can find pretty quickly how difficult it can be. There's, like, uh, a certain loss of balance that oh, occurs. Yeah uh which is why I, I find it so impressive what some of the guys are doing nowadays uh without poles uh and uh but back to my point is it's it's not it's not that great of a thing to have the lightest weight ski poles um not only are they it d- does it not give you that sense of balance but they break really easily the lighter the pole the easier it is to break and for most people who want to shred if you're shredding really hard and you've got a lightweight pole that breaks really easily, I, can, I bet you're going to be done with it in a month or less. <laughs> um, you know, so you pay, you pay 120 bucks for these yeah. World, World Cup race poles and then snap them, no warranty, you're out. You know, out 120 bucks. Whereas with Panda poles, we put a two-year warranty on it. They're probably not going to break in that two years. You know, you're hard-pressed to break these things. People drive over them in their cars. I've, I've had multiple people tell me that they ran over them and they were pr- totally fine. So, that's kind of our focus. Instead of being focused on making this super lightweight, super high tech device, we want something that lasts a long time, is really durable, and feels good. That's what's most important to us. So, that's that's kind of the direction we go uh, with everything in our company.
1: That's great. and no, without a doubt. As as an avid skier, I totally get that. Like, I, one of my close friends is a a racer, and the amount of amount of World Cup polls he's probably snapped i can't even (laughs) begin to like like he's probably got through like 10 or 15 pairs (laughs) yeah i don't really get that
0: it's crazy um but one of our videos that we did in the very beginning because it was it was difficult to convince people like you know everybody was asking well are they going to break immediately uh so it was kind of difficult to convince people who weren't very familiar with bamboo that these things are not only strong, they're stronger than your aluminum poles or carbon fiber. So we made a video where we did uh, samurai training, um, <laughs> kind of like a board-breaking board breaking competition. and yeah. uh, But instead of boards, we used ski poles. And <laughs> we didn't know if it was going to work for sure or not. We kind of went into it like, I hope this works. and. You'll notice in the video, I'm kind of cracking up throughout it because it worked <laughs> so well that I just could not contain myself. I was like, oh my gosh, we're snapping poles left and right. This is yeah. awesome. And we just shredded. Any pole we would put it up against, it shredded. Um, but just for anybody's, anybody who's listening, uh, if you don't want panda poles, go with rental poles. They are the most durable ones <laughs> out there. <laughs> and they're only $30. So, that's um, so funny. Yeah, that's yeah. so right. So
1: how did you come up with the name of Panda
0: well, you know, I mean, it it was it was kind of like part of that thing when the when I got the vision of the poles, it was kind of like right there with it, like panda poles. These are called panda poles, just so you know. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, that was kind of like what the way it came across, but you know, it, it made total sense. Panda bears eat bamboo. Right. You know, ninety ninety five percent of their diets bamboo, and these are ski poles, so these are panda poles. Uh, I mean, it it just was like. A no-brainer uh, once. I mean, it, yeah, you know, it just kind of all came to me in a vision, and whether it was my imagination or some higher guidance, whatever, you know, uh, whether you're a rational thinker or a <laughs> free-spirited thinker <laughs> like myself, uh, you know, however it came to me, it was like it was a flash of insight, and, um, you know, I could claim that it was my idea or I could just claim to be a... a Uh, conduit for this information to travel through, which I prefer that explanation. It makes more sense to me. Um, But yeah, panda polls just clicked.
1: For sure, for sure. So, from once you got to 2011, obviously you did a lot of prototyping to get to that point. Um, But now that you got, you have like, obviously your flagship product, what what have you done since 2011 and are planning on doing in the future to sort of um, take it to the next level so to
0: speak. Yeah, well, so we've got, there's quite a few products that uh, lend themselves to sticks, you know, uh, to just getting a stick and putting something on it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've tapped into the trekking pole market a little bit. We still need to bolster our sales in that. Um, but we've got trekking poles. We have our camera wand, which is like a selfie stick. But instead of holding a little TV antenna in your hand, you've got this nice, Piece of natural bamboo, um, so that's those are a couple of our main products that came on after the ski poles. Um, but we've also added uh, some apparel items. You know, we we just started producing uh, our uh, bamboo face buff. So it's it's bamboo stretch fleece, uh, made in USA face buff. You know, like a neck gaiter, right. um, but really awesome material, made in USA, awesome awesome product. Um, and that's that's kind of like the direction we want to go with apparel is uh, eventually we would love to be making full-on ski suits out of waxed hemp canvas with uh, merino and bamboo liners um, right, right. Or, or, or mittens or whatever the product is. It would be awesome to do it out of natural materials instead of continuing down this how synthetic can we make stuff uh, mindset that so many brands are out there uh, going after, we'd like to see how natural can we make this and yet still have it compete with the synthetics. Um, So, you know, at some point when budget falls into place and we can start to dive into the apparel um, industry, that's that's definitely a direction we want to go, you know, to the point where I'd love to see us have a, a little farm somewhere in the U.S., maybe Oregon, where we're growing uh, we've, we're growing our own bamboo, we've got our own merino sheep, we've got our own alpaca, and we've got our own hemp plants, and we're growing all this stuff and making our own apparel with stuff that's grown in the U.S. and made in the U.S. completely start to finish. Um, so that's, you know, big vision. Uh, but currently we're offering only organic apparel on our website. If you go in and look at our products, it's it's either organic Bamboo, hemp, or recycled, and that's all that we really offer. And which makes it difficult, you know. We're, a lot of people see a thirty-six dollars price tag on a shirt, and they're like, "Oh, whatever, I can get a shirt for twenty-five dollars." Right. And they don't think about how the shirt that they're getting for twenty-five dollars cost somebody a dollar to buy, and they got it from China. And got it printed for a dollar and now they're selling it for twenty five we got our shirt for eight bucks cost us two bucks to print it and now we're selling it for thirty five our margins are miniature compared to like these big brands that are cranking out all the um, internationally produced goods uh, that are flooding the market and and tainting everybody to think that that's the price of goods um, I like to call it the China syndrome <laughs> uh, it, it's like we're, we've become so accustomed to these really low-ball prices that anything that's made in the USA that's where we're asking what it's worth people scoff at it a lot of people but there's there's the market is changing in a way that is really opening up to the concept of made in America is really important our economy is dying because we've outsourced so much and if we don't get back on track with supporting local economies we're going to be doomed. so People are waking up to that, and they're they're moving towards brands like us and really supporting us and we have a, a massive network of people who are who who get that and without them we'd be we wouldn't have made it past day one really so
1: I think that's a great mission sort of point, and you know it goes into my next question of sort of asking you about sustainability, which I think you sort of already nailed on the head in showing how much bam um panda polls is focused on sustainability and really um, building that for the future. Um, but I think that's really, that's, that's such a great way to look at things. And so many people don't get that, especially when it comes to someone who doesn't have any idea with manufacturing. You know, someone who has started a business, been in that, done that, you know exactly, you know, how many pieces, what, what's involved in actually getting that done. You know, people do just look at that price tag and they're like, oh, I'm not spending $35 for a t-shirt. Like, uh, Like you said, I'm just going to go get the cheaper option when in reality, you know it's more beneficial to them to support the local guy
0: so yeah in, in as far as sustainability goes uh there's there's a lot of uh of infra- or there's there's a big part of uh of what manufacturing businesses do that goes unseen um there's a lot of waste that goes into manufacturing products that very few people are aware of unless you're in the manufacturing industry um one company that's done a great job of exposing or bringing to light uh this topic is Patagonia um you know they they say yeah you know what Apparel takes a lot of resources, creates a lot of waste, and we want to make sure our customers are aware of this and that they use conscious decision-making to, uh, to not overbuy. You know, the Patagonia says, don't buy from us unless you absolutely need it. Uh, if, you, if you have a coat that's broken, send it back to us and we'll fix it. They really have done as much as they can to reduce their footprint. And to kind of enlighten the rest of the world on the fact that uh, manufacturing does produce a lot of waste. Um, and and it sh- we shouldn't just be buying things left and right because we can. You only get it if you need it. Um, and if you're going to get it, get something that's high quality that'll last you a long time and won't just break after six months of using it. Um, so part of that, we we are trying to produce products that last a long time. We put a warranty on it so if it does break, we'll we'll replace the broken bamboo. We don't want you to have to buy something brand new because it broke. Uh and then if it does break after that 2 years, we'll we can sell you new bamboo and replace the grips and straps or swap the grips, straps and baskets onto new bamboo. Uh so it's it's something where we're trying to reduce our waste there. Uh and uh along with reducing our waste there, we We did this project a few years ago where we tracked our entire waste stream for the for the whole year. For one year, we kept all of our recycling and garbage on site. We didn't take any of it to the to the dump. We didn't take any to we didn't get rid of any of it. We just kept it all. After a year, we measured it, uh, made a run up to the landfill, dropped off all of our recycling and all of our trash, and made a a video about it. It's called Face the Waste. on our Vimeo and YouTube and uh, came out where we had produced 120 pounds of garbage and 150 pounds of recycling over an entire year. Uh, now, if you look at our bamboo scrap, that might have been 800 pounds or 1,000 pounds, but it's bamboo scrap that can either be composted, made into other products, or uh, has been given away to uh, various, various people for arts and crafts projects and whatever. Um, so we're really trying to be uh, as close to zero waste as possible and we're really trying to become as aware of our waste stream and of our footprint as possible. All of our shipping and packaging products are recycled, compostable or upcycled. Um, we we try to minimize our impact in every single way that we can uh, which you know, it's it's massive with manufacturing. There's so many so many industries where they just pump and dump, basically, like just crank it out. Don't worry about it. And uh, we want to be part of the antithesis of that. We want to really sh- be a, a shining example of how you can do business uh, effectively and yet not produce massive amounts of waste. Um, you know, and, and to me, it comes down to efficiency. Like I'm an efficiency fanatic. I don't I don't care how well something runs if it's not efficient. I want something that's efficient. And so that's the bottom line for me.
1: That's really interesting. So at what point in your life did you become so interested in, into, I guess, sustainability and making sure that that's a huge focus of Panda Poles and whatever it is that you do?
0: You know, um, I can attribute almost all of it to my mom. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) My mom, she raised us, my brother and I, uh, with, the utmost appreciation for nature, for animals, for ourselves, for our planet. Um, and kind of just, like, that became ingrained in my psyche. I mean, it's, like, buried so deep in my subconscious that, like, I really couldn't, I'd have to work hard to not have that uh, be on the forefront of of how I make my decisions. Um, but then because of, because of that exposure early on that my mom helped uh, garner, uh, I became attracted to... Other people in that mindset with that mindset, and other people in industries that support that mindset, um, I uh, along the lines there, in two thousand and eight, I got trained to install solar um, with my stepdad and uh, and helped him kind of start his business doing solar installation and geothermal heating and cooling mm-hmm. uh, so that was that was my foray into actual sustainable uh, building and sustainable living practices. Um, and, and I had spent a long time, you know, maybe from like age 18 to 24, researching various new technologies coming out. I was really fascinated by all this stuff that could replace all the archaic, very inefficient systems that we're running on and operating. And, uh, and it just became this, the forefront of, of my research uh, for a few years. I was just fascinated by all these new technologies coming out and how simple and how beautiful we could make our existence on this planet because um, right now it's kind of in a decay pattern, you know, our, our system that's been based upon petroleum and, and war for so long is starting to fall, kind of fall apart right in front of us. Um, but at the same time, I'm watching this other new paradigm and industry blossom you know we've got tesla that's now like given the coal and oil guys a run for their money you know he's gonna elon musk is gonna take over and and those the the dinosaur dudes are gonna be left in the dust and elon's gonna be you know riding high on his horse um so back to your question how did i get into it i'll give most of the credit to my mom and my stepdad and uh and then uh you know, there's there's been various brands throughout the years that have kind of made a really powerful impact on me. Uh, Patagonia, for one. Uh, Doctor Bronner's, the soap manufacturer. Just absolutely love those guys. And uh, and let's see, yeah, Tesla. Um, so just seeing, just watching a few other brands and watching these new technologies come around got me got me kind of hooked on on that mindset. And now now I, I won't even make any decision in my life without referencing back to how it affects uh, myself and the rest of the planet.
1: That's really interesting. So throughout this entire process, you've mentioned that you've had a few sort of mentors. Um, but in more specific to Panda Polls, has there been anyone who has sort of directly helped you get Panda to where it is now?
0: I would say as far as Panda's concerned, my number one mentor was probably Oakley White Allen. Um, and so Oakley is, uh, is the number two at Panda, or he's, he's got the second most shares in the business. He was my uh, original business partner, the guy that I, um, that I shared the idea with in the first place and who kind of helped coach me and, uh, work with me on, on getting it off the ground. Uh, and more than anything, Oakley's a spiritual mentor. He kind of, he has this very uh, very calm way of uh, of of approaching life and this this really peaceful demeanor that has kind of stuck with me from when I first met him and when we hung out. Uh, just, just his presence kind of made me think about the way I was doing things uh, a lot differently. Made me think, try to be more insightful about how I do things, and 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 really approach life with a more subtle sense than you know my fiery will. You know, I, I get pretty driven and just want to like hammer, hammer through things. And Oakley kind of taught me to be a little more like water. Um, so yeah, as far as mentors of panda poles, he'd be probably the, the main one. I've had a couple other people help with uh help give me business ideas along the way. Um I'm I'm really good homies with the guys over at Pit Viper sunglasses and not okay, that they've yeah. not that they've mentored me, but I've I've always just kind of we we started our companies around the same time and we're really good friends. Um but they're just so creative that I get a lot of uh creative inspiration from them. Uh and uh and I'm always just, you know, tr- they're, they're kind of like my humor <laughs> uh, they really motivate me and mentor me on humor, um, and, and are always inspiring me to continue to uh, approach approach business with a sense of humor, um, and not get too serious about it. Uh, but yeah, beyond that, I mean, almost everything I've learned, I taught myself. Uh, when it comes to business, uh, you know, I, I didn't really have anybody teach me how to do business. Um, had a couple people. A couple lawyer friends kind of helped me figure out the paperwork on various things. and uh, But when it comes to the nuts and bolts of making this thing run, I, I kind of had to just figure it out all, all on my own, which was pretty insane at some points. <laughs> it always is.
1: <laughs> so did you always know you wanted to start your own business of some kind when you were younger?
0: Yeah, you know, my first business was when I was 12. I bought a bunch of fake Oakley sunglasses. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know where I got them because this wasn't really when the Internet was, like, the easiest place to get things. It was I think it was, like, some uh, mail-in program. But I mailed in, got, like, 20 pair of fake Oakley sunglasses and just sold them to friends around town and made enough money to buy another, another round and did that for a little while. Um, I didn't tell anybody they were real Oakleys. I, you know, I made sure they knew they were fake Oakleys. I wasn't trying to rip anybody off, but uh, provided some pretty sweet fake sunglasses to the <laughs> community of Pocatello for a summer. Um, so that was kind of like my first uh, dabbling in business. Uh, but I don't know. Just over the years, I, I really, I always felt like working for somebody wasn't as uh, wasn't the path I wanted to go down. I felt like I had this unique thing to offer the world that not a lot of businesses could really um, bolster or could really, you know, get behind. So it just made sense to me that I should I should probably like do things my own way. And the only way to do that is to start my own business. So.
1: Without a doubt. So your own way. What kind of what kind of a culture would you say exists around? panda poles i know you said that you guys have mandatory they have to be skiers or snowboarders they've got to (laughs) they've got to ride at least 50 days a year so like tell me what is it like around the office of panda poles
0: um well around the office it's uh it's we're really laid back you know i one of the main things that i try to focus on with our employees is just that everybody feels like they're uh appreciated Everybody feels like they can ask me anything that uh there's no fear in the office if somebody has something they want to talk with me about uh they they should feel totally comfortable doing it um and so that's that's a really big uh aspect to how I like to operate is you know i'm a low pressure guy when it well ask me on a really high pressure day and it might be different but in general i I really try to operate very casually. I try to create an air of casual uh, work, and somehow through that, I've found that our guys are more motivated and work harder when I can approach them like that. And when I use effective, truthful communication, uh, if they aren't on point, that I'm able to go and chat with them and be like, "Hey, dude, we need to pick this up here or pick this up there? You're doing an awesome job in these places, but um, so I don't know uh, to me, appreciation is the forefront. Of of my of of how we do things or of how I do things with our employees, I want to make sure everybody feels appreciated. Um, and uh, beyond that, uh, I think that just trying to create a sense of community based around uh, love of the outdoors would be the epicenter of our vibe. Um, you know, we have our tribe, the Panda Tribe, which is everyone who's involved with Panda from the people that work here to our athletes, ambassadors, or fans. Uh, if you're, if you believe you're part of the Panda tribe, you are part of the Panda tribe. Um, and the, the epicenter of that belief, the core of that belief is a love of outdoors and of nature and of doing what we can to maintain that, uh, for ourselves, for our children, for, uh, you know, another million generations, if that's possible. Um, And, uh, and through that tribal community and that tribal network, we've, we've found that there's a massive number of people that really connect with that and that really appreciate the sense of community that we've created. And, uh, you know, it just continues to grow and grow and grow and evolve and, uh, and just morph into, it's, it's a very organic living being, the Panda tribe and, uh, I'm always humbled. I like I say, you know, I I could take credit for all these ideas and for like uh, where things are right now, but you know, I'm I'm just a I'm just a uh, conduit for all this. It kind of just passes through me, and everybody who's involved is is really who Panda is. You know, there's the thousands of people who are involved that create Panda, and I think they feel that, you know, and that's why they take ownership of it.
1: Without a doubt, the community is key, especially with. In the business world, it's something that really differentiates so many great companies from just, you know, mediocre, regular brands. And being able to sort of bring together people who have that similar belief is, I think, really important. That's exactly what we're trying to do with Ready Yeti, is bring together people who love, you know, getting outside and participating in any of the, you know, outdoor-related sports and that are interested in sustainability, brands that give a shit <laughs> so, you know what I mean <laughs> yeah, like aren't just trying totally. to sell you crap you yeah. know for a profit but actually like have like a, when I talk to you I can hear like how much you actually care about what you're doing and I think that's that's really awesome thanks man so what would you say has been one of the hardest parts about starting Panda up to this point
0: uh. My goodness this is so, this is as I was going through all the questions you had I, I got to this one and it's like such a difficult one for me to put my finger on um, but I think what one of the most difficult things for me personally is is to balance the demand with the production you know it's like there's a certain balance there if we over produce or if if well for one we can't really overproduce produce because we don't have the budget for it until we sell a, <laughs> stuff right. you know the, the way because we're not doing a lot of pre-sale stuff most of our orders are online orders if we have a month that's down our budget the next month is totally based off of that and how much stuff we can buy uh, is based off of that so let's say we have a bummer October but November is booming we're going to be behind on production in November and there's a lot of communication that then has to go into play you know relaying information with the customer and with right. our uh, suppliers to kind of get things lined up again, um, so there's always that. Um, it's gotten easier over the years as the budget has increased. We're able to buy more stuff, so we don't come to situations where it's like a big, a big rush and we're behind. Uh, we're actually at a really solid point with that right now, um, the best we've ever been. Uh, but some of my some of the challenges that continue to pop up would would definitely have to do with lining up the parts and pieces you know like right now we're waiting on a bunch of labels Um, you know that's that's the one hang up right now we'd be fully stocked on everything except for straps we're waiting on labels Uh, you know we only have a hundred pair of straps right now which I wish we had 500 pair Um, so you know we've got labels coming in this week, but we had to wait on those, and that it, all it takes is one link in the whole entire chain, and it gums up the entire works. So yeah, we're waiting on this fifteen cent piece. You know, <laughs> the labels fifteen cents. Yeah. But unless we have labels, we can't sew them on straps, and if we don't have straps, we can't send them out with poles. So it's like it, consistently over and over and over. That's been one of the biggest difficulties I've had is getting to that place where there's a, a link that's missing or is not full and is not complete and everything waits on it the whole entire process is waiting on this one little piece so but i'm getting better at figuring out how to plan for these things um and uh and and really just dialing in that whole process um and then beyond that it's just a matter of like figuring out the correct marketing edge to get people to buy the products um and and having faith that people will Go buy the products even during the months or the weeks that sales are down. So
1: that's really interesting. So you guys are most of your sales come from the website, correct?
0: Yeah, probably eighty okay. percent. Um, so what do you guys in,
1: do for marketing? How do you get the word out
0: there? Well, you know, the, the basis of our marketing platform for years, like, we didn't even really put any money into marketing other than providing polls for athletes. Um, we didn't really put any money into marketing for our first two or three years. It was all based off of our videos and social media. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, and, and that was, when we first started, that was back in the, when Facebook still actually had really awesome algorithms yeah. for businesses like oh, us yeah. <laughs> and we were able to gain lots of followers or lots of likes really quickly. And it mm-hmm. just felt like it was the heyday. Um, and over the last few years that's kind of slowed down, but Instagram was in its boom and kind of got involved with that a little bit. But now Instagram is, you know, it's go- they go through their cycles. Social media is not something you can totally rely on all the time for all your business. Um, at least when you get to a certain size as a business, um, uh so now we you know we still focus heavily on social media and on our videos you know we're putting out a video at least once a month if not twice a month or some months three times um but uh really just maintaining uh, consistency with our social media making sure that we're telling our story make sure that we're uh cont- or you know communicating with customers uh and and trying to just be as as aware of our social presence as possible, and not letting anything slip through the cracks there. Uh, but beyond that, uh, at least as paid advertising, um, you know, we we got into refer or retargeting marketing for a while. That that's worked really well for us. Uh, we started getting into SEO a little bit, um, but uh, the. Primarily, what we focus on, it, as far as if we're putting budget into something, we really enjoy giving product away to athletes and to events. Um, I, I find that that's one of the more fulfilling ways to advertise, right. uh, because then somebody gets this thing that they're going to use. It's out on the hill every day, and it, somebody's stoked. They got this this thing, you know. They got panda poles. It's not just like an ad shot in front of them, um, you know. And everybody can feel the stoke when somebody wins. A product at an event or you know for our athletes i can i can feel the love from them all the time when you know when they're part of the tribe they they just they're motivated to produce and you know they they that's been one of our most effective tools i think is is getting our product into into the hands of the core athletes you know the people that are out there on the forefront
1: you're so right It's exactly why we do these giveaways (laughs) we have so many people when they win they're like dude I love Ready Eddie. You know what I mean? They become (laughs) such huge raving fans. Like, first off, I would never have found this brand to begin with. So that in itself is awesome. But the fact that, like, you know, like we gave away a pair of uh, bamboo skis last winter um, from a company called Slant Skis. And the winner got them and has been using them. And, and, you know, we get feedback from people. Just so stoked. Exactly. And, like, you're like, that's great. That makes me happy. Seeing, like, just someone who's so thrilled at getting something like
0: that. Totally, and you know it's actually pretty cost effective. You know, when you because because our cost versus the um, the MSRP, you know, it's it's not we don't exorbitantly mark things up, but um, you know, for somebody who's getting a hundred dollar pair of poles, it might have cost us thirty three dollars, but you know, that's a hundred dollars of value to that person, and that only cost us thirty three dollars. So, you know, there's almost like an exchange there that is beneficial to us as well. but uh, that's, that's just one of those things. I, I just like getting product into people's hands. And if we are going to spend a lot of money on advertising, that's my favorite way to do it.
1: Without a doubt. So what would you say is your biggest fear in terms of panda the polls?
0: Um, well, you know, of course there's the immediate fear of having the business be a failure and all the hard work that I worked on for years crumble away into nothing. That's definitely <laughs> <Of> <laughs> something course. I pretty regularly <laughs> have to face, Yeah, Uh which, you know, in the end, as long as I, it, it, what that does is it reconnects me with my faith. Like any, t- there are certain days where I'm like, this is doomed. It's done. It's not going anywhere. I'm over it. And then, I take a few minutes to breathe and refocus my appreciation and my gratitude, and then it 's like, "Whoa, dude, this is amazing! I cannot believe how far this has gone, uh, even if it did crash today it's like it's mind blowing and such such an honor to have been a part of it. Um, so you know of course, that fear of having things crumble away is definitely at the forefront, but on on my day to day basis, I think one of my biggest fears is letting down a customer or like letting down a fan. You know, it's as simple as me missing a, a a mention on Instagram that I didn't respond to. Like, <laughs> it honestly bugs me if, if I wasn't able to reciprocate that to the customer or to the fan. Like, just give them a, yeah, thanks, dude. Um, it's it's funny, but, like, having, having pristine customer interaction is one of my, it's so important to me that I, I just can't stand it when I know that I've missed something, um, and something fell through the cracks. Uh, that a customer feels unfulfilled, I, I just can't stand that. So I think that's one of my biggest fears—biggest rational fears.
1: I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Any sort of feedback that you get that isn't like stellar, you're like, okay, how can I make this better? How can I like, <laughs> you know, because you want to please, you want to make it perfect for everyone. But that's something that is like a business owner you come to realize, like, unfortunately, you're not gonna. It's not yeah.
0: always gonna be that way. Totally. You know, and if if at at least I want the customer to feel heard, even if we can't do anything for them, I want to make sure that they feel like they were heard and that um, we're here for them as as much as we can be within our our means.
1: Right, right, right. So I think this is a perfect segue into what are some of the biggest mistakes you've made?
0: Mm, Biggest mistakes. Let's see. Hmm. That, uh, again, is a really difficult one. Um, I think we missed we missed the boat on getting our website mobile optimized last year, you know, because we should have had it done from the get-go. But our website wasn't mobile optimized until uh, this August. And I think letting that one fall through the cracks, because, I mean, uh, for those who aren't aware, mobile optimization is, is one of the biggest... Uh, one of the most important pieces to website SEO and to just general traffic and conversions on any website in this day and age, right. especially since Google, uh, last summer, uh, summer of 2015, uh, made it mandatory for businesses to add mobile optimization to their website, or it would affect their rankings and whatnot. Um, well, we didn't realize how important it was until, you know, mid, midwinter last year when we saw our numbers were heavily affected. And, um, and so missing the boat on that one, you know, it would have been nice to have our website mobile optimized two years ago, three years ago. Uh, that was that was a big mistake. Um, but, you know, I, gosh, I think as far as super legit mistakes, hmm, man, that's, it's, it's such a difficult question too uh, because there's just so many little mistakes, yeah. but I can't really remember, like, <laughs> anything that was so detrimental it almost killed us um man and it's hard for me too because you know to me mistakes are just opportunities for growth right you know so it's like i could look at some mistake and say yeah that was a mistake and then in hindsight it was actually like a really awesome thing that kind of helped me grow um hmm. Yeah, I wish I could. I wish I was more on point with this one. I actually even wrote this one down. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I put I put mobile optimization and lack of official budget. I don't even know what I meant by lack of official budget. (laughs) Uh, Oh yeah, that's okay. So uh, budgeting, Um, we we've never really been that great at creating an actual budget that we go by. Like our whole budget process has been based off of how I feel. (laughs) <laughs> which you ask any business professional and that's like the last thing you want to do when it comes to actual budget yeah. that, you know, budget of, of all things, you know, we do a lot of things in this business based off of our heart. That's like how we run this business, but budget is, it doesn't work that way. You know, budget is a very logical, precise, uh, operating system. And, uh, that's, that's something that I've had to find out the hard way. And I've gotten much better at, uh, bookkeeping and trying to create budgets. Um, but still it's it's difficult uh to to really do that you know i've i've got so many other things going on that spending time uh budgeting is kind of kind of beyond my <laughs> beyond our means so what i've done recently is i just don't spend any money <laughs> 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 no no i try I've, I've really gotten sensitive with like in the past i i used to maybe like buy things a little a little more um on the on the fly like oh yeah we need that i'm gonna buy it but now i sit i sit with it for a while before i decide uh if that's gonna work or not um but it would be much easier if i had an actual written budget where i was like oh no that's out of the budget can't do it but right now i'm just kind of like it feels like it's out of budget but i don't know this guy is pretty cool i like this (laughs) (laughs) yeah it makes me smile i want to do it Yeah, I
1: totally get that. (laughs) Oh, that's funny.
0: But yeah, I I can't really think of anything too particular beyond those two items. I'm sure there is something, but I probably repressed that memory. It's we're never gonna find out what it was.
1: <laughs> I know exactly what you mean, man. It's like when you, when you start a business, you don't realize how much crap you have to do that you don't that you just hate, especially when you're busy. Like you said before, it's like when you're moving quick, you're like a million miles an hour. Last thing you want to do is like, okay, let's take a second and look at the books and like figure out yeah books
0: and like totally. all this
1: other crap. And you're just like, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs>
0: yep yep awesome. and that's where that's where it's important to figure out uh where I had to figure out my strong suits, what am I good at, and what should I outsource and you know there's very little that we outsource, but certain things I'm very keen to outsource, uh particularly legal documentation um it's nice having a lawyer, yeah <laughs> it's for sure uh <laughs> Always always try to find a find a good friend who's a lawyer and who's down to help you out for less than uh, MSRP.
1: <laughs> oh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. It's invaluable. So what advice would you give to someone that wanted to start a business in the outdoor sport world?
0: Um, <clears throat> probably the most important thing is don't let the business kill your joy of that activity. Like, I've met so many people throughout the years going to conventions and, and shows and whatnot uh, where I'm like, hey, we should go skiing sometime. And they're like, oh, I haven't skied in three years. I'm like, wait, but you sell skis. And <laughs> to me, that is one of the biggest travesties I could imagine. Yeah. Um, like, and it almost happened to me in 2013. I only skied 20 days. It was insanity. I, c- I couldn't stand it could not stand it that was the hardest thing ever for me is not being able to ski when I wanted to and having to just go bust out all these orders and do all this stuff for other people who are going to go skiing but I personally can't go do it yeah and um I vowed after that year that I was like this is the last time I'm going to ski 20 days in a year because you know the year before I had 120 days you know so to go from 120 days to 20 days was like massive uh, disappointment so i my suggestion to anybody getting into the outdoor industry um or starting a business with it is make sure you make sure you stay in touch with with your with the sport you love like even if you have a lot of stuff to take care of if you're not doing your thing then it's pointless what are you doing Without go that. sell go sell CDs <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> you know um Dude,
1: 120 days, I am jealous. The most I've ever gotten in a season was like 85 or something like
0: that. Yeah, well, you know, you have to understand, at the time I was working at the base of Snowbird in a shop, so, you know, I'd get hour and a half lunch breaks and just go shred for the whole entire time. So, you know, a lot of those days... Like probably half of them were only an hour and a half on the hill. Got four right. or five runs, but you know I, I was on the snow every single day, and it's it's so important to me to be up on the hill at least three days a week. Like if I don't get up to the hill three days a week, even nowadays, I'm uh, I, it does not make me happy. I'm, I'm the exact
1: same way. I lived in Salt Lake for uh, a winter, so I totally empathize. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. But now I live in New York, and like, oh geez, yeah, I, I know, I know, it's bad. <laughs> So like I, I have to be very crafty with getting my ass up to the mountains as consistently yeah. as possible because like now I probably get between forty and fifty days on the snow, so
0: which is solid for New York, man. Oh yeah,
1: like all my friends are like, you're never here <laughs> in the winter time, and I'm like, well, you know, like, priorities. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. In the same token, though, it is as much as it can have the tendency to push somebody out of doing the activity it also has a tendency of keeping you so submerged in it that like i i'm never out of ski mindset like even mid-july there's a point in my day every day where i'm thinking about skiing and there's something pertaining to skiing that i have to do so skiing's at the forefront of my existence constantly um but it's really important for me to not just have it as this thing that's at my forefront but this thing that i do at the forefront you know right, so
1: right. so i guess that's sort of it my neck my last question is what's the best part about running panopoles and i have a feeling i know what you're gonna say
0: no oh, what a great segue <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah you know it, it that's it um that i'm able to create my own flexible schedule um i can if it's a pow day the office is shut down <laughs> If if somebody tries to go to work on a pow day, I am mad at them. <laughs> what are you thinking, man? Yeah, no, I. Totally Especially in, in Pocatello, you know, we only get maybe twenty good pow days a year, if that. Um, oh, really? So yeah, it's we only we had two hundred and thirty inches last year at Pebble Creek, and that was an awesome year. So you can imagine, for most places that are used to four hundred, five hundred inches, uh, two hundred thirty would seem pretty meek. Um, but it was a great season last year, and uh, you can guarantee on any pow day up at Pebble Creek, I was there. And so is Bo, who is like my right right hand man, and so is everybody who's at who works at Panda Poles. You know, we can we can build poles any time throughout the day, but POW is only available from nine to four. Yep.
1: I so know what you um,
0: mean? So yeah, you know, just having that freedom of flexibility, um being able to kinda push something off for a few hours or for a day or two, uh, so I can work on this other thing, um, that's that's been it's been massive. Uh, so for for all the trade-offs, for all the stress uh, that's involved with running a business, it's so worth it to be able to make my own schedule and kind of decide how I want to do things. I've got full creative control, you know.
1: Oh, I totally understand that. Like when I, like I, I constantly since I live in New York, I'm constantly stalking the weather. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like if there's a if there's a weather pattern coming in, like a nor'easter or something like that, and I'm I'm predicting, you know, which where is gonna get creamed the most, I'll be like, okay, so I need to take off these days and these days. So I need to make sure I'm in the car on this. You know what I'm saying? So like having the freedom of your own business and being able to like, okay, I can do two hours worth of work here, I can get yeah. Wi Fi there. Okay, all right, I'll fi- I got this. This is gonna work out. Totally,
0: totally. <laughs> and that's that's so sweet in this day and age that all you need is like a Wi Fi hotspot or like something like that to be in your office. Like my my office is my MacBook. You exactly. Know? And,
1: exactly.
0: And that to me is amazing. I can I can kinda set it up my command center anywhere on earth and be doing business. That that's so cool. I feel very futuristic when I'm doing that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I totally feel the same way. So um, for anyone that's listening and wants to win a pair, well we're giving away two pairs of panda poles along with 12 pairs of .6 merino wool socks and a $200 Evo gift card on ReadyEddie.com. So if you're listening to this between October 25th and November 8th, head out over to ReadyEddie.com. Right on the homepage, you'll see in um, big letters, um, "Giveaway," so you can enter for your chance to get your own pair of panda poles. But other than that, where can people learn more about uh, you guys?
0: Well, of course, there's Pandapoles.com, which has uh, basically any info, any and all info pertaining to our uh, Magic Ski Wands. Um, So yeah, Pandapoles.com, the only place online where you can buy Pandapoles. We are the exclusive retailer. uh, And uh, promo code TRIBEUP, two words, TRIBEUP, is 20% off. So feel free to dive into that. Um, But yeah, Pandapoles.com, it's it. That's the place. There's no other place to... They have to go to
1: without a doubt so tanner i want to thank you for taking the time it was a blast uh, chatting
0: yeah likewise josh i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and uh yeah thanks for thanks for thinking of us it means a lot
1: without a doubt hey Ready radio podcast listeners if you enjoyed today's episode then i would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to itunes and leave us a quick review This really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself. And if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Red Yeti Podcast. I'll catch you next week.